Well, we are in week four of this series on marriage and relationships uh, called Let's Be Real. And uh, the big idea behind this series is that there are certain lies that we tend to believe about relationships, specifically marriage, but it can trickle over into other relationships that you have, and that there is a danger in believing something that isn't true about your relationship. And here's what that danger is. We looked at this in the first week, that your beliefs about marriage or about relationships, whether they're true or false, whether they're accurate or not, what you believe works or what you believe you should do or what you believe and how you should react— Those beliefs will shape your behavior and attitude about marriage. And the simple truth is, there's a lot of things that the culture preaches about relationships as being true that aren't. There's a lot of things that we come to on our own about marriage and relationships and we think are true, but really aren't. And so we're just being real in this series, taking some common held beliefs and just unpacking them with God's truth so that we might, in essence, have healthier and more resilient marriages and relationships. And so today in week four of this series, we're going to talk about this word. It's the word conflict. Now, thankfully in America— We have very little of this right now in our country, right? I mean, this is something that we're very blessed to not have to experience very often as we look at the news or look at social media. Um, We wish, right? I mean, if there's something that's become obvious over the last 10 years or whatever is that conflict just continues to increase, And as that conflict has increased, whether it's on a national level or whether it's just the way that people interact on social media or Facebook or wherever it might be, as that conflict has increased, you know what has also decreased? Our ability to navigate it in a healthy way. So much so that it seems as if the leaders of our country can't even really talk or work with someone who thinks differently than they. And before we throw too many stones, in general, when it comes to the citizens of our country, I have noticed, at least again on the internet, that if someone believes something or thinks something about the country that is different than what we believe, that it's very, very hard to have a healthy conversation about those things. Increasingly hard, and we've become increasingly divided and in our little silos, so to speak. And so one of the things that I've recognized is if this difficulty in navigating conflict is happening on a national level, on a a cultural level, what's happening in our homes Because I think oftentimes what's happening culturally and nationally is often reflective, at least in a way, of what's also happening closer to home. And the thing that is true is that the closer you are to someone, the more that you know them, the more that you're around them, the more that there's going to be the likelihood of conflict. 
So one of the things that I I want you to recognize is this, that when it comes to marriage and when it comes to close relationships in your life, that conflict is guaranteed. And that in fact, the message for today is not one that's going to help us navigate how to eliminate conflict from our relationships or marriage. Because the reality is, this side of heaven, that's ain't gonna happen. The closer you are to someone, the more likelihood there is going to be for conflict. The more you know about them, the more likelihood there is going to be. Let me test this theory out. Any of you ever go on a cross-country vacation with your family? And not in a plane. I'm talking about a station wagon or a minivan or an SUV or something else, some sort of a camper or whatever. Um, As you think back to that cross-country vacation with people that you're very close with, not just relationally, but also for that time, literally, was there any conflict on that trip? And maybe it wasn't big, maybe it was, maybe it was small, but anytime you spend a lot of time with someone, there is going to be conflict. I think maybe for some of you in this room, you marry, married people, some of you just need to hear that because there's conflict in your marriage does not necessarily mean that it's a bad marriage. Maybe some of you, all you need to hear today, or one of the things you need to hear is that even great marriages will have conflict. Now, healthy marriages, I will say, begins to have less conflict because they work through those things. But to think that only good marriages are only the ones that have no conflict would would also be a lie. It's going to happen. And so a better question to ask ourselves is this. Are you and I able to resolve conflict in a healthy way? Not how do we eliminate it altogether because conflict is guaranteed. But do we have the tools at our disposal to resolve conflict in a healthy way. And the the subtle lie that so often we lapse into, whether we believe it, hook, line, and sinker, maybe up for discussion, but that we so often fall into is this. When it comes to conflict, just give it time and the conflict will go away. And again, like all four of these lies, right away you're seeing and maybe thinking, I don't believe that all unto itself. That might be true. But sometimes we act like we believe it as we don't maybe address conflict as quickly or as healthy as we should. And, and I'll give you guys, you know, a little bit of a, a break and give myself a little bit of a break too, I guess, when it comes to conflict. There's a couple reasons why we just try to avoid it. Um, one reason is this, that it's easier in the short term. It's not fun to work on something that's been keeping you apart. Conflict at times and all the time is, is, is a hard thing to navigate. It, um, it takes thinking. It takes prayer. It takes humility. It takes forgiveness. 
It's a whole host of emotions that come with addressing conflict. And sometimes, and notice I put in the short term, it's easier just to avoid it. In the long term, not so much. In the short term, it's easier. The, the second thing, a reason why sometimes um, we avoid conflict and just kind of let it ride out is this. It seems to work at first. <laughs> so here's a, a subtle lie that we sometimes believe when it comes to conflict, that because the emotions have died down, that means I'm all good with it. See, when a conflict just happens or something happens that causes conflict, at the beginning, the emotions are heightened. They're at the surface level. And as time goes on, the emotion, at least the intensity of it, changes a little bit. And usually it changes for the better. You're able to think more clearly. You're able to maybe um, just, you know, act more in a more healthy way. But just because the surface level emotions have decreased does not mean that things are resolved. What happens the next time you see that person? What kind of things are going on in your heart and mind? That's probably a better indicator. Or what happens in marriage the next time that topic comes up? That's probably a better indicator as to whether we've gotten through it in a healthy way rather than maybe just how we're feeling. So as we get into the meat of our message for today, our next fill-in says this. When it comes to handling conflict, you need more than time. Sometimes time can be good. If you're feeling the emotions heightened, to go walk around the block a couple times before you address it, or maybe even sleeping on it, can be a good thing. Next morning, you're fresher. It's a good time, maybe, to talk about it. But you need more than time. What we really need to address conflict in our lives is a plan. And that's at the heart of the text and the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Um, this section of the Bible is part of Jesus' um, Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded for us uh, by one of his disciples named Matthew. And one of the things I want you to recognize about the Sermon on the Mount is that if you read through it, you would read very little about how we're forgiven, or how people are saved. And what that tells me is that the audience that Jesus is preaching to is one that either he already preached that to, or an audience that he preached to another time, and they understood what forgiveness was all about. And so now he's preaching about the response to forgiveness. Here's what Jesus, here's what I have done for you, and now Jesus is sharing with them now, how can we respond? And one of the areas that Jesus felt was really important to talk about and to teach through was what to do when there's conflict between you and someone else. Matthew chapter 25, we begin with verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister, and again here, not literally just your brother or sister, but someone who's close to you has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. 
And so the, the scene here is someone who's going to the temple. They're bringing a gift to give to the Lord, a sacrifice, probably not money, but likely when people would bring a gift to the temple, it would be a lamb or a goat. And they're standing in line with their goat. And as they're standing in line to get it sacrificed, they are remembering. It's something on their heart that there is a conflict going on with a brother, a sister, a, a spouse, someone that's close to them. And what Jesus says is, before you go and offer that sacrifice and focus on that relationship with God, you need to go and make amends with that person. It's that important. It's that critical. Don't wait. Go quickly. And one of the things I think is really interesting here is that Jesus didn't use a temple analogy by accident. Why he uses this person who's going to, you know, make amends for his sin through a sacrifice of a goat and talking about this temple comparison is that he wants us to see that there is a connection between what's going on in our horizontal relationships with other people and our vertical relationship with him. That what Jesus is intimating is, it is very difficult, I have it written this way, that unsolved conflict with others will affect our relationship with God. Because if we have something going on with someone else, it might be our husband, it might be our wife, it might be our parents, it might be our siblings, whoever it might be, when things are not good this way, there is some sin there that either we're not repenting of or forgiving. That means that things aren't going to be where they should be this way either. And so there is more than one reason, not just the relationship with the people around you to settle conflict, but also Jesus is intimating having a better relationship with him means that we'll be solving conflict around us and with others as well. He says, go back to these next verses, settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together, on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The moral of the story is figure out your conflict, or otherwise you're going to be in jail and penniless. That's what Jesus is trying to teach. (laughs) Maybe in this case, right? I think the the bigger truth here to understand is when we don't settle matters quickly, what happens? Do things get better or worse? Jesus is teaching that if, if you would just do this quickly, you'd be able to avoid prison and a fine. And so often in our lives, if we would just settle these things quickly, The consequences become so much less, but we just let them stew. We let them sit. And I will tell you this, nothing relationally ever gets better without communication. Just avoiding topics never help to create the intimacy that we all want and are looking for in our marriages and in our close relationships. And so what Jesus is teaching in these first four verses, at least one of the things is this, our next fill in the blank. We need to be ready when we're feeling conflict with someone to take the first step. <laughs> and I think especially the guys in the room are like 
feeling a little guilty here because I think I don't want to pigeonhole things, but I think sometimes guys have a harder time. I guess it depends on the relationship, but uh, addressing some things or getting it out or whatever it might be. But when, whether you're a husband or a wife, a guy or a girl, the reality is, is that we need to be humble enough to recognize that conflict, unresolved, is not good in our marriage relationship, dating relationship, whatever it is, and that we need to be humble enough to take the first step to address it. And it's interesting that when it comes to this lie that, you know, time just heals all wounds. (laughs) This section, I couldn't think of a more clear section to say the exact opposite. Time does not help in the long run. It can help in the short term to help simmer emotions. But in the long run, Jesus directs us to go quickly to the one that you have an issue with or the one that there's conflict with. Now, there's another thing that that Jesus really sort of directs us to in this section. I'm going to go back to, to verse 24 because he tells us what the goal is. He says, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Have you ever thought about this? When you've been trying to solve conflict in your marriage relationship, have you ever thought about what your goal is in that? I I have to admit that for years in my marriage, I never really thought about a goal. I mean, like, I didn't want her to be mad at me. Okay, I guess that's kind of reconcile or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think most of the time, if we're really honest, in order for us to get through a conflict, we're looking for something from the other person. We're looking for an apology. We're looking for them to do something to show that they're sorry. And in many cases, they should apologize or they should do something. But... That is not our goal, Jesus says. The primary goal in conflict resolution is not to get something from that person. The primary goal is, our next fill-in, to prioritize reconciliation. That if we can go into a conflict resolution with this mindset that even if I don't like my spouse right now, God has put us together And we've made a promise to be together for the rest of our lives. That relationship, that oneness relationship is the most important thing I've been asked to steward during my life on this earth. And I need to prioritize the best of our relationship over what I need or what I may get. And that's not very easy to do. In fact, I, I wanted to give you maybe a little pathway uh, to get to, to reconciliation. Because um, at the end of the day, what reconciliation means is that we no longer hold something over someone else's head. It means that when we have a discussion, or as one commentator put it, intense fellowship— is how they, dis- des- they described an argument. When you have intense fellowship with your spouse, okay, that we are keeping in mind 
that our priority here is to reconcile and that we're not going to hold things from the past or bring things up from the past to hold over their heads. And so what does this look like? How do we, how do, we do this? How do we come to a place uh, of prioritizing reconciliation? Well, here's a, a little grid for you. Um, when you've wronged someone, and that's the cause of the conflict, we need to repent. It's those two really difficult words that every healthy relationship needs, the words, I'm sorry. We need to repent and share our sorrow. But repentance doesn't end there. Repentance also includes the desire and the activity of trying to change that which you offended or that activity which was an offense to our spouse. So it's, I'm sorry, it's working on it. Um, Now, if you've been wronged, well, then what we need to do is forgive. If you've wronged someone, that's the reason for the conflict. You need to repent. If you're the one that's been wronged in this situation, it doesn't mean that no longer do you need to not be ready to take the first step. You still might need to take the first step. And you need to, in those cases, forgive. Literally, forgiveness means that someone owes you something and you decide to cancel the debt they owe you. And once again, this is not very easy. Um, And there's some things about forgiveness that I think sometimes we have misnomers about. Um, For instance, um, when you forgive someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can totally forget. I think as we forgive, we remember less. But unless you have the ability to empty files like on your computer and delete all, in some ways that might be impossible to totally do. It doesn't necessarily mean you forget, but it does mean you don't hold it against them. Um, In the realm of forgiveness, I think also we need to remember that there are some things that have different consequences than others. So, for instance, um, there's a lot of things that cause conflict that, to be honest, if you just gave it some time and pressed pause and walked around the block a couple times, aren't that big of a deal. Something small like that, scheme, not a huge deal. Now, on the other end of forgiveness and in marriages, you might have some really big things you're thinking about, whether that could be unfaithfulness or adultery or abuse, um, assault. I mean, that's an entirely different thing, right? I just want you to understand that sometimes forgiveness doesn't even mean in some of these big things that the, the marriage is able to be saved. Sometimes There are certain things that have happened to you that means that it's probably looking like the marriage won't continue. But that still doesn't mean that we don't, even in that sense, forgive. Because we can still forgive, and I'll be really honest with you, and we've talked about this before. The reality is that the blessing of personal forgiveness is more of a blessing to the one who's forgiving than the one who needs the forgiveness, isn't it? 
Because so often the person who needs forgiveness may not be at a point where they even care necessarily. But the person who needs to forgive, they're the one carrying around the baggage of their sin, the baggage of that person's sin, the baggage and the weight of the harm that they caused you. And so when you've been wronged, forgive. Now, I think most times fall into this last category. When you're not sure, repent and forgive. Or, again, maybe you're sure, but most conflicts have a little bit of fault on either side. And so there needs to be both a repentance, even if it's just the way I reacted, and also forgiveness. Now, I've hinted at this a few times. Forgiveness for what other people have done to us is probably the hardest topic that I preach on and the one that I have seen, because I've gotten to know you guys over 15 years, I have seen cause the most damage personally and in relationships is the inability to forgive. This is really, really hard. It doesn't happen with the snap of a finger. It can take years And that's why I want to end with the key to it all. Because there is, there is something so true for Christians and Christian marriages that is at the heart of forgiveness and is at the heart of conflict resolution. And Paul, that pastor from the first century, writes about it in Ephesians chapter 5 when he gives this encouragement to Christians. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I don't know how spouses truly forgive each other in a healthy way when Christ is not a part of the relationship. I think I'd have a really hard time forgiving if it was just up to me. But every Christian marriage needs to be a forgiving marriage. Not because it's easy. Not because your spouse is better than everyone else's and doesn't ever offend you. It's because we have been recipients of the greatest reconciliation story and account that there ever was. If you add up all the things that your spouse has done to cause you conflict and cause you difficulty— And then you think about all the things over the course of your life that we have done when it comes to disobeying God. It's not even close. In fact, oftentimes in the Bible, God uses the analogy to marriage to describe when we don't listen to God, it's as if his bride is committing adultery. That's how God feels when we know what we should do and we don't. And yet the greatest news of a Christian's understanding is that Jesus was ready to take the first step. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means there is peace and there is hope for every single person in this room. And regardless of what is in your past, you can know that because of Christ, your relationship with God is okay by faith in him. And so, 
maybe it could be said this way. Forgiven people forgive people. It's not easy. It can take years. But I, I will tell you this. It's, this is very simplistic, but it's so true. If there is someone in your life, spouse or otherwise, that you cannot forgive, you have not spent enough time sitting at the foot of the cross. If you're all bowed up right now, and because there is this person that has done this or that to you, I know this is hard, and maybe we need to talk about it sometime because we just need to talk through it a little bit more. But at the end of the day, if we cannot forgive, we have not spent enough time considering the great debt that Christ forgave for us. Because when we recognize what he's done and don't forgive, it's like being gifted a million dollars and then not being willing to pick up your wife's coffee uh, expense at caribou, okay? Like these are not even close. A million dollars and three, four bucks, right? It is unforgiveness is the heart of ingratitude. Because forgiven people, as hard as it may be, and as much of a process as it takes, will forgive people. So here's your homework. I don't know if it'll come up this week. I hope not. But the next time there's a conflict, an intense fellowship that you're experiencing in your marriage, don't just go into it without a plan. But if things are quiet, be ready to take the first step. If you're not sure all the ins and outs of what exactly caused it, be ready to repent and forgive. Because at the end of repent and forgive, motivated by the forgiveness that Christ has given us, I believe that even through conflict, on the other end of it, there are stronger marriages that will result. And that is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great, deep forgiveness and love for us, that although our sins are great, your grace and forgiveness is greater. And now, dear Lord, help us to be simply reflectors of that forgiveness to our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our parents, our children, our co-workers, our classmates. Dear Lord, if we're a Christian, we've experienced the greatest reconciliation story there ever was. May we share that same grace and forgiveness with those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.